We all know the legal world is complex and high-pressured. There's no room for error. That's why judges and attorneys across Chicagoland have trusted the expert court reporters at McCorkle Litigation Services since 1948. McCorkle Litigation Services has accurately recorded every word from thousands of legal proceedings. McCorkle Litigation Services provides the legal community with peace of mind, transcribing testimony and depositions that can be used reliably by jurors, judges, and attorneys. For all your legal support needs, contact McCorkle Litigation Services online at McCorkleLitigation.com. Next, Tina, we are tackling a really hot issue in the news with James Cemetero. James is co-chair of the Media and Entertainment Group at Prior Cashman. He opened up the Miami office and was named recently the Lawyer of the Year in Miami's entertainment area. Uh, by Best Lawyers. James, you split your time between Miami and L.A. Welcome to the show here in Chicago. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. James, you're a nationally recognized entertainment lawyer and have been following the recent case involving Taylor Swift, Scooter Braun, and her former record label, Big Machine, which has been getting a lot of press lately. The story begins last year when Taylor Swift decided to leave the label and sign up with Universal. Fast forward to a few weeks ago when Swift tweeted that her former label might prohibit her from performing her old songs at the American Music Awards, which was honoring her as Artist of the Decade. Can you tell our listeners more about what led to this breakdown between Swift and her former label and what the issues were? Sure. One point of correction. So Scooter actually wasn't Taylor's manager. He is, he's just a megawatt manager who has managed Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, among others. So the real breakup, and this started in June of last year, was when Taylor left Big Machine Records, which was owned by Scott Bochetta. So she signed with Big Machine when she was about 15, maybe 16 years old, released her first six albums uh, with Big Machine, trusted Scott Bochetta Immensely, they had a very mutually beneficial relationship. She was up for renegotiation. The parties tried to extend that agreement. There was a kind of a belief that Scott wanted to sell Big Machine, and Taylor's obviously the crown jewel, made up about 80% of their revenues. So the negotiation, according to industry reports, and this seems to be well verified, was Taylor wanted to own her masters and her next deal. And the deal that Big Machine offered her was what's known as a one-for-one deal. We will give you the right to each album, the masters for each of your predecessor albums, upon your provision of a new album. And Taylor ultimately rejected that deal, knowing that it would probably lead to a sale of Big Machine because they would have the right to four or five additional albums. So ultimately, she, as you indicated, signed with Universal. And then the relationship became very toxic and very public when it was announced that Big Machine had sold Uh, all of its holdings, including the first six albums of Taylor Swift, to a company, uh, Ithaca Holdings, that's going to be controlled and is controlled by Scooter Braun. So, James, explain to our listeners who maybe aren't as um, practiced in intellectual property law how an artist like Taylor Swift can write her own songs and perform her own songs yet not be able to actually perform them. 
Sure. So she actually could be able to perform, and that's kind of one of the big kind of misgivings and maybe the mis uh, one of the bigger disconnects as it relates to the AMA. So it is common, I think maybe this will answer your question, it's not entirely uncommon, in fact it's probably the norm, that most artists with Jay-Z, Janet Jackson, Frank Ocean, Rihanna being among the handful of exceptions of artists who don't own their masters. And if you look at the way the record label historically and kind of even continuing to this day works is record labels invest in unproven talent, unproven commodities. They put a lot of money into those artists and they try to make them into famous successful artists. Sometimes it works, a lot of times it does not work. So in many instances, the stars, the Taylor Swift of the world are paying for all the artists who just didn't make it for whatever reason, not for lack of talent, but they just didn't never got their day in the sun. So the record labels invest a lot of money. As a consequence, the historical model has been that they own the masters. And with the ownership of the masters comes the rights to do certain things that may be at the expense of the artist. Uh, Taylor Swift is somewhat unique though, and that she is a writer of many of her songs. And as a consequence of being a writer, she maintains a, a publishing interest, which actually gives her more shared power than most artists would have. The flashpoint uh, was there's obviously some white-knuckle negotiation uh, that's been going on, and Taylor indicated that she was being precluded from performing her works at the what, the recent uh, AMA Awards. The Big Machine and Scooter Braun have de denied that. Some documents leaked out that indicated that maybe there's uh, conflicting sides or conflicting truths as to what was being going on. But as a general rule, even if you own the masters, you cannot prohibit an artist from publicly performing their works. The issue with the AMAs was how was that performance going to be recorded with the concern, for example, of being, could it be recorded, posted on YouTube, then be made available and in that circumstances, or if the producer of the AMA, Dick Clark Productions, was to somehow release an album or maybe even audiovisual work, like a DVD of, of the performance, then technically you're, you're getting to what may be a violation of a re-recording restriction that would be contained in Taylor's recording agreement. So, James, pre-internet, separating out an artist's rights versus those retained by the record label was a lot simpler than it is today, where music is streamed much of the time. How does living in the streaming age impact the rights of an artist and what they retain in their music and their ability to enforce those rights? It's a great question. In, in some instances, some of the overarching rights remain the same. What, what I think one of the bigger changes in the, in the post-internet world has become is that artists have become a lot more savvy. And as a consequence of the fact that labels have changed their, their nature, their posture, and what they're able to do for artists, not all artists need to sign with a label. So there's a different dynamic. So with streaming and with the fact that artists, whether through an aggregator or through success on a, a minor league platform like a SoundCloud, which is becoming its own powerful force, an artist doesn't necessarily need the label for things that the label has historically provided, such as uh, the ability to get on the radio, the ability to distribute physical copies of a, a CD or a record, get it into the Walmarts and the targets of the world. So what labels have historically done is not only cultivate artists, make them stars, but actually distribute their product into the marketplace. With the internet and the, the democratization of music taste, artists don't necessarily need to have a label. And with that lessening need, there has been a desire to retain more rights. So deals that just were non-existent five years ago, such as 
a 50-50 split on masters or a controlled share in how your music is utilized, how it's placed, where it's played. Those are becoming more and more, I wouldn't say commonplace, but they're not out of the norm. So those would have been non-starters five years ago. So those are, that's where the dynamics have shifted because of the Internet and because of streaming. Labels have assumed less of a prominence. Artists have been able to learn more about their rights, learn more how to get their music into the marketplace without having to relinquish so much control. James, speaking of technology, and last question here on Legal Faceoff, a lot of this played out on social media, right? I mean, Taylor Swift and Scooter Brown were going back and forth on Tumblr and on um, Instagram and various social media sites, and that resulted in an unprecedented move by Taylor Swift fans. What are they called? Swifties? Yes? Swifties. Swifties to um, exert pressure on Scooter Brown. How much do you think that affects um, modern negotiations versus the letter of the law? It's a great question, and I actually think the most interesting component of the most recent flare-up, the one that occurred on the eve of the AMAs, is the fact that this is power-broking negotiations that are happening in the Instagram world. Both sides started with Big Machine Records in June, have leaked documents, have had screenshots of documents, have been negotiating in the public. So what were previously effective closed-door tactics are really proving almost unreliable and uncontrollable when they're subject to instant global transparency and where those who consume music, such as the Swifties, are invited to almost a virtual sweet seat to the table. And I think that's it, it is a very powerful component of what you're seeing right now, which is where Scooter is somewhat distancing himself from Big Machine Records, because at the end of the day, Scooter is in the business of making money. He's made a substantial investment. He does not want to be viewed as unfriendly to artists. He does represent other A-list artists. So I definitely think he is shifting and trying to, he's certainly already extended an olive branch by saying, let's not let things fester in silence. Let's open the line of communications and have a discussion. And so negotiations, particularly at this level, at the, at the highest stature echelons in the music industry are often prickly. They're just normally done behind closed doors. So this ugliness to leak out and to leak out in a very public way is extraordinarily unprecedented, and I actually think it won't be the first or the last time that you see it. He literally wrote the book on these issues, Film, Band, Multimedia, and the Law. Uh, James Cemetero from Prior Cashman, PriorCashman.com. Thanks so much for joining us on Legal Faceoff. Please come back. Thank you. Appreciate the time.